What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today, we're going to talk about Bryce Harper. Some of you might have seen the other night when MLB writer Jeff Passan tweeted out. He said, Bryce Harper is 30 years old. He has now spent half his life squarely in the limelight. He is a beloved teammate, a tremendous leader, an elite player, and as clutch as anyone in the game. He is not just everything he was supposed to be. He is more. Now, besides the fact that that tweet kind of sounds like a eulogy, I connected with this so well because Jeff is absolutely right on this. I've been a sports fan my entire life. I watch every sport you could possibly imagine from the youth and amateur levels all the way up to the professional levels. And I distinctly remember Bryce Harper rising to prominence as a 16-year-old. He became one of the most famous athletes in the country virtually overnight. But the most interesting part about this is you sort of like cringe when that happens typically. And the reason I cringe is because I know that you don't typically live up to the hype. It's too much pressure for a 16 or 17-year-old in high school, and to compare them to all-time greats in sports is unfair at that point of their career. But the most interesting part about this story, and again, where Jeff is correct, is that Bryce Harper not only lived up to that hype, he is over-delivered on that hype. So today, I want to break down a little bit of how Bryce Harper got here at 31 years old. We'll talk about his business off the field, including how much money he's making in salary, plus his endorsements and stuff like that, and a little bit of the future too. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. So let's get right into it. Okay, so when I was thinking about the most logical place to start this podcast, one thing stuck out in my mind. It was that to my knowledge, there are only two athletes in history, just two athletes in the history of sports who have graced the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 years old and been labeled as the chosen one. Just two athletes. The first you guys probably know is LeBron James. He was a high school phenom from Akron, Ohio. This guy, I mean, he could have started in the NBA probably as a sophomore in high school. That's how big of a recruit he was. And LeBron has absolutely lived up to the hype. He's won four NBA championships, and he's the first NBA player in history to cross a billion-dollar net worth while still active. Now, some of you will look at me and say, hey, Joe, what about Michael Jordan? That guy makes way more money than LeBron. And that's true, but MJ didn't hit a billion-dollar net worth until 10 years after retirement when his Jordan deal with Nike started ramping up a little bit more. LeBron is already a billionaire. He is one of the wealthiest athletes in sports history, and he has without a doubt, unquestionably, undoubtedly delivered on the hype. But the more important part here is that the second athlete to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 years old and be labeled as the chosen one is Bryce Harper of the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, Bryce Harper is the son of a steel worker and a paralegal from Las Vegas, Nevada. And like LeBron James, he not only lived up to the hype, but he exceeded it. For those of you that don't remember, Bryce Harper first broke onto the national scene during his high school years. He attended Las Vegas High School, again in Las Vegas, Nevada, and he was quickly recognized as one of the most talented baseball players in the entire country. For example, as a freshman, Bryce Harper hit 571 with four home runs and 16 RBIs in just eight games at the Youth Pan Am Games. That was an important moment for him. Obviously, he got national attention and recognition for that. But then during his sophomore year, the following year, he really broke out. Bryce Harper hit 626 that year with a 723 OBP and a 1339 OBS with 14 home runs, 55 RBIs, 76 runs, 36 steals in 115 games while playing catcher at Las Vegas High School. So he had a huge sophomore year, obviously starting to get a little bit more recognition there. But then the Sports Illustrated article came out where he was on the cover being called the chosen one. And that's when everything changed for Bryce Harper. This came out in June 2009. He graced the cover again of Sports Illustrated, and it read out on the front page, in quotes, baseball's chosen one and baseball's LeBron. 
Now, Bryce Harper was just 16 years old at the time. And he was the first high school athlete to be on the cover since LeBron James in 2002. To my knowledge, he's still the only one other than LeBron James to do this. But this story was absolutely incredible. For anyone who's listening to this podcast, I highly recommend you go on Google, you type in this article and you find it and you read the entire thing because today it is still an incredible read. But I picked out a few different things that I want to read to you guys, just some highlights from the article that give you context on why it went so viral and why he became so popular overnight. Now, the important part to remember here is that 2009 was the very early stages of social media. Twitter, I believe, was around. Facebook was obviously around. There was a couple others too. But nothing was going viral at this point, right? Everything was still word of mouth. You were watching it on TV. You were hearing about it from friends. Maybe you were sending emails or things like that. But this went viral in 2009. And the reason it went viral is because Sports Illustrated included a bunch of different highlights from his career. Number one, he hit a 570-foot home run at age 15 in a high school game. There's actually this famous video. Some of you might have seen it by now. They're walking across a highway. Then they go into the desert in Las Vegas and they show where like the ball landed. 570 foot home run. That is absolutely ridiculous. And to be able to do that at 15 years old, I don't care if it was with a metal bat or whatever. Absolutely ridiculous. Bryce Harper was also six foot three, 205 pounds at 16 years old. Obviously a big kid. He scored on six wild pitches. Not just any wild pitches though. He scored from second base his sophomore year. So six times during his sophomore year, he was on second base. There was a wild pitch behind home plate and he scored, took two bases. Incredible, obviously doesn't happen very often. He also threw 96 miles per hour, again, as a sophomore when he was pitching. He had a 3.5 GPA in high school. He was uh, graded as a top five pick by an anonymous American League scout and a top two pick by a National League scout if he was to go pro his sophomore year of high school. He played in a game where his team won 31 to one. He played t-ball at age three against six-year-olds. Harper also did this thing that he called travel player for hire, which was essentially people would pay for his travel, his lodging, and his meals for him to come play travel ball tournaments across the United States with their team. Now, I don't believe this was illegal at the time because he wasn't actually receiving compensation for this. This was something the team was paying for for all the players, the travel, the lodging, and the meals, but obviously a unique circumstance where he was actively being recruited to go play on different teams for different tournaments. Another thing that I thought was interesting from that article is from the age of 10 to 17, Bryce Harper played between 80 to 130 baseball games per year. Now, that is absolutely incredible. I played Little League just like many of you others probably did. I played high school ball. You don't play anywhere from 80 to 130 baseball games a year unless you are extremely, extremely dedicated to the sport and you're willing to do it forever, right? And that's another reason why I think I believed and many other people probably believed that he would fail at some point because you're taking a 10-year-old and you're basically turning their life into this. And you don't even have an understanding of if they like it or not yet. Maybe they say they do. They say they love it. But at 10 to 17 years old, you're a kid. You don't really understand exactly what's happening. But again, he played 80 to 130 baseball games per year. Another thing was he went 12 for 12 at a travel for higher youth baseball tournament. He did that with 11 home runs and one double. (laughs) He literally went 12 for 12 at a tournament. He had 11 home runs and one double. And when he was asked afterwards how he played, he said, I did all right. (laughs) That's the stuff of legends, of course. He also had a quote in the article that was just amazing looking back on now. He said, I'm going to play against you the way Pete Rose did. I'm going to try to rip your head off. That's just the way I am. Old school. If I could play for a guy like Lou Piniella or Larry Boa, I'd love it. Harper's father, Ron, also would pitch Bryce sunflower seeds, bottle tops, dried red beans, just about anything small enough that didn't move straight to help him with his hand-eye coordination. So he was legit a prodigy. I mean, he was being bred 
he was obviously showing immense talent from a young age, but his life turned into baseball from the age of 10 onward. He followed it up. I mean, this Sports Illustrated article again came out, I believe, in June 2009. And right after that, a video went viral of Bryce Harper online. He connected on a 502-foot home run at Tropicana Field. This was during a high school home run derby. And to give you guys a little bit of context here, Tropicana Field is obviously the home of the Rays in Florida. It's an MLB stadium. And this was the longest home run ever hit at the field, whether you're amateur or professional. And it would have went even further had it not hit the back wall of the dome. It literally hit the back wall of the dome and they measured it right there, 502 feet. And this turned everything over. The Sports Illustrated article obviously made it much more popular, but then you followed up with a 502-foot home run that goes viral on the internet, on YouTube and so forth. Sports fans across the United States instantly knew his name. But this is where it gets really interesting with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was just a sophomore at the time in high school when he started going viral. And he couldn't go professional for at least two more years. So the way the baseball draft works is you have to graduate high school or turn 18 and you can go professional. But rather than wait it out for two years, essentially what would have happened is he would have started getting intentionally walked by every high school pitcher in the country with an ounce of sense. He decided to do the unthinkable. Bryce Harper attained his GED. It's essentially like getting a high school diploma without actually graduating high school. You go take a test and you can show that your aptitude is there to graduate high school. You get a degree or a diploma. It's called a GED. Then he leaves high school early after his sophomore year. So after his sophomore year, he leaves high school, doesn't go back, and he enrolls in a junior college. Now, the important thing to remember here is that Bryce Harper at the time and is still being advised by baseball super agent Scott Boris. And many people believe Scott Boris was just out to make money on this deal. He just wanted to attach his name to Bryce Harper, and he wasn't thinking about him, the kid specifically. Many people questioned this publicly and said it was a terrible idea and a huge mistake. But Bryce Harper didn't care, and he ended up dominating junior college. So what would have been his junior year of high school, he's now playing junior college, which is against much better talent than he would have been facing in high school. And he dominated. He hit 442. He hit 29 home runs, had 89 RBIs, 18 stolen bases in 62 games. So he showed them that not only can I do this against a higher level of talent, he's still a young kid at this point. He's 16 years old. So he then declares for the MLB draft in 2010. This is one year before he would have been eligible had he stayed in high school. So it's after essentially his junior year is the easiest way to think about it. He was able to declare for the draft because he went to JUCO for one year. That year, the Washington Nationals selected him first overall in 2010. The reason why this was so important was because Bryce Harper was then the third youngest player ever selected with the first pick in the MLB draft at 17 years old. 17 years old. He was the number one pick in the MLB draft. But the reason why, again, I wanted to write about this is because, and I wanted to podcast about it, was because Harper today is so damn good, and he not only lived up to the hype, but he, he over-delivered. And I'm going to give you a little bit of example. To summarize his professional career, he's had some ups and downs for sure. He's had some injuries. He's had a couple of different teams, but he's been great. He was the number one overall prospect in Baseball America's minor league rankings before he even played a minor league game. In 2011, he literally had not played a real minor league game at the single A, double A, triple A level yet, and he was the number one ranked prospect. He ends up getting called up to the Nationals. I believe it was in 2012. He makes his MLB debut. Yeah, April 28, 2012. At just 19 years old, he played left field. They transitioned him out of catcher so he could get to the majors quicker and have a longer career. And he becomes a professional player. So he's the youngest player in Major League Baseball at the time. He plays really well. His jersey sold incredibly well. He signs a sponsorship deal with Under Armour because that becomes their marquee athlete. And he ends up making the postseason in 2012 as a rookie. 
at 19 years old, and he becomes the second youngest player ever to hit a home run in MLB baseball. Now, fast forward a little bit. He ends up playing seven years with the Nationals. Again, has a great career for them, makes several all-star teams, wins an MVP award, and so forth. He ends up becoming a free agent at the end of the 2018 season, and he signs a massive deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. 13-year, $330 million contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. At the time, that was the biggest contract in MLB history. Now, Bryce Harper switched from number 34 to 3. The reason why he switched from 34 to 3 was because of Roy Holiday's death. The Philadelphia Phillies retired that jersey when he passed away, and Bryce Harper became number 3. Now, the reason why this was so unique also was because with the new team and the new number, his jersey sales went absolutely crazy. He was the fastest selling jersey for any athlete in any sport in history for the first 24 hours they went on sale, according to Fanatics. So obviously the NFL is more popular. You could talk about the NBA or whatever. On Fanatics, he had the best selling jersey of all time for every sport imaginable within 24 hours of going up for sale. Now, again, Bryce Harper has had a few different years in Philadelphia as well. Obviously, COVID played a part in this too, where they only played 60 games in 2020. But he's had a great career with the Phillies by all means. They went to the World Series last year, ended up losing to the Houston Astros. But Harper won NLCS MVP. He hit 400, 408, 50 as a slash line. Absolutely incredible performance. And he's doing it again this year. So Harper actually had offseason, I believe it was Tommy John surgery, yeah. And he ended up coming back halfway through this year. He switched to first base to be able to get back on the field a little bit quicker and have Schwarber become DH again. And he's having another great year, even with that injury. In the NLDS this year, he had 462, three home runs, five RBIs. And he obviously had a little bit of beef with the Braves players. And this series against the Diamondbacks, he's off to another hot start. Game two is tonight. I'm recording this at 5.30 Eastern time. The game will be in a couple hours here. So who knows if he'll hit another bomb. But last night in game one, he had another home run and the crowd went crazy. I believe the crowd was measured at 111 decibels, which is obviously very, very loud in Philadelphia. But off the field, Bryce Harper has done really well. So one of the things that I obviously love to look at is the business and money behind some of these athletes, the teams, and the leagues. And with Bryce Harper, it's really interesting because when he signed that $330 million deal, like I told you, it was the biggest deal in MLB history. But just, I guess, four or five years later now, it's not even close to the biggest. MLB contracts have ballooned over the last few years, and Bryce Harper is now the 26th highest average salary in Major League Baseball at $25.3 million per season in 2023. Off the field, he earns about $7 million per year. That's also unique because MLB players really don't earn that much money off the field. Bryce Harper only has 2 million followers on Instagram, which is relatively nothing. I mean, there's like probably like 50 NBA players that have that much. That's a joke, obviously, but you get my point. Shohei Otani leads the league with $40 million in endorsement income. Bryce Harper is second with seven. But there's only a handful of guys that are earning probably a million dollars plus in MLB today. It's Mike Trout. It's obviously Bryce Harper, Shohei Otani. Guys like that, the big marquee name guys in big markets that can really move product for companies like Under Armour. He has deals with Gatorade. He has deals with Fanatics, Electronic Arts, the video game company, Rawlings, Dairy Queen, Dick's Sporting Goods, a bunch of other ones too. So he's done really well from a financial standpoint. But again, the reason why I wanted to talk about this on the podcast today is because of what his career has become. Putting that much pressure on a 16-year-old by placing them on the cover of Sports Illustrated, calling them the chosen one. It's almost an impossible task to live up to that. We've seen two athletes do it so far with LeBron James and Bryce Harper. It's absolutely incredible what his career has become. To me, he is absolutely going to be in the Hall of Fame. 
And we'll see what happens this year with the World Series run in Philadelphia. If he's able to win that, that'll be a huge, huge, huge mark of success on his career as well. But again, just a cool story. One of the things that I think is super interesting about sports is we see these young athletes. They deal with so much adversity throughout their career. They deal with the media. They have to deal with expectations. They have to deal with fans. They have to deal with living up to these huge contracts that are now being handed out. And it's very tough in some instances for them to be liked by a bunch of different people. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm well aware that there are many sports fans and specifically baseball fans that don't like Bryce Harper. I've tweeted about him several times during the MLB playoffs this year, and I get responses saying he's a clown. He sucks. He's annoying. I don't care about him. Stop tweeting about him. But the reason why he's one of my favorite athletes personally is because you do not see this happen in sports a lot. I watched the Todd Marinovich documentary on ESPN a while ago. And for anyone that hasn't seen that, you should watch that. Todd Marinovich has an absolutely insane story. His father literally bred him to be a quarterback. He was being stretched in the crib as a kid. He was being trained from the time he could walk. He was lifting weights. He was throwing the football. And it worked. He got to the NFL. But he obviously had this huge tailspin where it didn't end up working out. I think he got addicted to drugs at one point and things like that. So There are a lot of ways that this can go wrong by placing that much pressure and that expectations on different kids when they're at different ages. And for Bryce Harper to not only go out and achieve all the success that he has done, but exceed it on a level where many people are talking about him now being in the Hall of Fame. He's a team first guy. Uh, He shows up incredibly well in clutch moments in the playoffs. He's now playing for a city like Philadelphia who has totally embraced him. Again, I'm a Yankees fan. You know how bad it hurts seeing him do this in the playoffs? when the Yankees refused to go and sign him. And he literally was quoted, I believe in that Sports Illustrated article, saying that he wanted to play in the pinstripes. That sucks. It's really unfortunate. But he has lived up to the hype. It's awesome. It's incredible. I'm rooting for him to get his first World Series title this year. But that's all on Bryce Harper today. The last thing I want to talk about is my Microsoft Teams community. Some of you have heard me talk about this. It's a group that has a couple hundred people in it. We talk about different current events in the sports business space. We share articles. We talk about the newsletter. We talk about the podcast. And one of the things that I'm doing now and going to continue to do more in the future is ask for questions, do like a little bit of a mailbag of sorts. So go in there at the bottom of the newsletter. There's a hyperlink. You can join the group and you can ask questions going forward. But today I'm going to start with two questions. The first is from Nathan Holm. Thanks for asking, Nathan. And Nathan's question is, what has been the most exciting change you have seen happen in sports over the last five to 10 years? And what do you think will be the biggest factor impacting sports over the next five to 10 years? So let's start with the first part of that question, which is what is the most exciting change you have seen happen over the last five to 10 years? I would say that the most exciting change is athletes now controlling their narrative through the media. This is something that has certainly come to light more over the last, call it 12 to 24 months, but it's been going back for the last five to 10 years through social media. The internet has absolutely changed the way that we disseminate information and connect with each other. And athletes more than anyone else have been able to take advantage of this rather than using the media as a wedge to get information out. So now they're able to go on, they can record a video from their phone, they can tweet something from their phone, they can post YouTube videos. And not only does it allow them to craft the narrative about themselves, about their play, about their investments, whatever it is, but they're now building these audiences that they can leverage for other things. And that leads me to point number two, which is what do I think is going to be the biggest factor impacting sports over the next five to 10 years? And me personally, the thing I'm most excited about is the idea that these athletes are wising up to their ability to build legitimate enterprises around themselves. And let's use LeBron James as an example. LeBron James has obviously made a lot of money playing basketball. He has an agent. They sign endorsement deals. That's like par for the course when it comes to being a great athlete today and historically too. But what LeBron has done really well is he owns the infrastructure all around him too, right? So he owns a production company. 
the production company was valued at $750 million two years ago. It's probably a billion dollar business. They do stuff for his commercials. They obviously have a huge podcast network. They do a bunch of other things too. LeBron's going to make a lot of money on that. It's something that he was going to be doing anyways, but he's now going to turn it into a legitimate enterprise where he's going to make a lot of money through a market cap perspective and an enterprise value perspective. So that's great. Great job by him. The other thing is he wants to own a sports team, right? So he wants to own the expansion team in Las Vegas. So what does he do? Instead of, in lieu of some marketing money a decade ago, he accepts some equity in Liverpool. Liverpool Football Club goes up in a lot of valuation. He then transfers that equity to Fenway Sports Group, the parent company, who owns the Pittsburgh Penguins. They own a bunch of other teams too. Obviously, he's going to make a lot of money on that, but more importantly, it gives him the institutional capital and the wherewithal now to go get this team in Las Vegas as well. He owns a tequila company, obviously another business where he's able to leverage his name, image, and likeness to drive sales. So you get my point, right? He's got all these different employees around him rather than him just paying money to friends or whatever it is. They're all working for him and they're building legitimate businesses where he's going to make a lot of money. And that's part of the reason why he is the first NBA player to cross a billion dollar net worth while still active. Next question is from Zach Loeb. Zach, thanks for asking the question. He said, what method or tool have you found to be most successful for attracting an audience slash following? All right, this is a little bit off topic from sports business specifically, but it's around the creator space. For those of you that don't know, this is stuff I love talking about. I am super passionate about sports business. And ultimately, I think that is why I've been successful. Someone told me when I first started doing this, they said, you're never going to keep doing it. You shouldn't even start. If you're not willing to do it forever, don't start. And what I realized was that I was willing to do it forever. These were things that I was talking to my friends about, my family about, individuals about all the time. I was reading content. I was watching stuff on TV. I was watching YouTube videos. It was consuming my life outside of work. So I thought to myself, if I'm able to turn a passion of mine into a job, is that going to be beneficial for me in the long run? And people fool you. They say that your job, if you're able to turn your passion into a job, it doesn't feel like work. That's bullshit. That is absolutely not true. Anything that you do for work is eventually going to feel like work. I write the newsletter. I record this podcast. I do a bunch of other consulting and investing stuff and all of that. And at one point or another, there are absolutely points throughout the day where I don't want to write or I don't want to record or I don't want to do this call or whatever it is. And it's a job. It's absolutely a job. But the other thing that I would include with that is that if it's your passion, you always find a way to get it done. So to answer Zach's question, the best method I found is to be absolutely obsessed with something. Find the one thing that you can be one of the best people in the world at. On the content space, if it's a specific niche, if it's a topic, if it's a job, if it's a category, whatever it is, find the thing that you can be one of the best people in the world at and go all in. For content specifically, the two things, I've said this on this podcast before that I really think you need to be successful is you need great content and you need distribution. One of the things that I did when I first started growing my audience was I would write this newsletter and I literally started a Twitter account from scratch. But what I would do is I would copy and paste the newsletter into tweet format. And at the time, this was three, four years ago, threads weren't popular really at all. And I literally just copied and pasted. I went from getting like two likes to like 50 likes. And I was like, wow, that was great. I should probably just do that again. And I did it again and again and again. And then I started optimizing, right? So I'd write better headlines. I would break up the spacing. I would do bullet points. I would take out some of the fluff. And what I realized was it was all about consistency at that point. If you just get reps and reps and reps, I did one thread a night, literally five days a week, Monday through Friday, one thread a night for six months straight. I mean, that's hundreds of threads. And it was difficult at points. I didn't want to do it. I had a job at JP Morgan. So I was waking up at 5 a.m. I was going to sleep super late. I was miserable to some people, I'm sure. 
But ultimately, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I challenged myself for six months to do the best you absolutely can and see where you're at. And where was I? I ended up quitting my job three months, literally three months into doing that. So I don't want to hear from people that it's not possible. It's absolutely possible if you're willing to put your mind to it. The internet is an open space. If anyone has any questions about content creation or anything outside of that, I'm always willing to help out new creators and people that are willing to or trying to break into the space. Please reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, email, LinkedIn, whatever it is, and we'll chat. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope everyone has a great week and we'll talk on Friday.